Hi, everybody. My name's Johnny, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm glad to be here tonight, and, uh, and being me, I didn't even say anything. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, did I say I was an alcoholic? Huh. I don't either. I, uh, I'm glad to be here tonight. I, I'm glad to be sober. I want to, uh, before I get involved into my own magnificence, I want to tell you that I'm very pleased to, uh, to the committee to allow me or extend the privilege of me participating in an alcoholic anonymous meeting. Always been my opinion, and I hope it always remains such, that some type of a privilege should be allowed to come and sit with you good people. I hope I don't ever get it through my sick head that I have a right to everything that goes on in Alcoholics Anonymous just because I was lucky enough to stumble into these rooms and just told me to stay that way. Now, I haven't had a drink of alcohol or a moose off in chemically in my system since the fourth day of November 1959. <laughs> I haven't had any near beer or Prozac either. That usually turns off half the room. <laughs> near beer. I get a kick out of people talking about drinking near beer. That's like a dope fiend trying to get loaded, sticking a straight pin in his arm. <laughs> Guy told me one time, he said, you know it takes 69 near beers to get drunk? I told him he never had to come to another meeting yet. I mean, if he was that patient, he don't belong with us, I'll tell you that. Maybe they could use him in Al-Anon, one of them lunches or something. You know? I mean, there has to be something like that. I don't really understand. But I am glad to be here tonight. I'm extremely pleased to be here fully clothed and in my right mind. And in this part of the world, in this time of the year, you better be fully clothed, I'll tell you that. I tell you that because uh, a little over 40 years ago tonight, I came to crawling around in a cell in solitary confinement at a maximum security penitentiary just in and out of Now, because of a loving God has expressed himself through our program called Alcoholics Anonymous, it's no longer necessary for me to crawl around on my hands and eat like an animal. Now, I don't get nothing else out of this deal at all. I guess I could live with that for a long time if you could do it. I'd like to be able to stand here tonight and tell you that that's where alcohol and drugs get you to. God, I'd love to be able to tell you that. See, that's where I took you to. The only thing that alcohol ever did in my life, it kept me alive long enough to stumble into a meeting of alcoholics. I'm as sure as I'm standing here, if I hadn't taken a drink of alcohol, I'd have probably blown my brains out before I was nine years old. See, I've always been some type of misfit. I never seemed to belong wherever I was. I always seemed like I was on the outside looking on the inside. It never seemed to be enough of anything that ever seemed to satisfy me. I didn't like where I was, who I was, around who I was, or anything about it. It was always this restlessness and irritability and this discontentment way down deep in my soul. I didn't understand then, as I've come to understand today, that those are the symptoms of the most deadly disease that's ever been known to mankind. My sponsor tells me, and I have no reason to doubt his words, that there's written history it stretches back almost 7,000 years with this illness that I had. I didn't know that. Everybody in my family drank whiskey, so there was no big deal about that. I mean, they were all Irish people. They didn't have any type of religion to hold their guilt down, so they just went crazy. 
Uh, they just, uh, I mean, they drank whiskey and went to penitentiaries. They drank whiskey and worked in them whorehouse on the other side of the track. My mother drank whiskey and beat up my dad. My dad drank whiskey and beat up my mother. They both got drunk and beat me up. I saw what whiskey did to people a long time ago. I said, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to step out of the world, have something, do something, and do something. I didn't know what was wrong. There's a lot of theories today about all this genetic stuff. But I really don't have any idea about it at all. I don't know whether I was born alcoholic or not. It seemed like to me that I was born needing an answer. That's what I seem to understand. And the problem with that is I didn't know what was wrong with me. It's hard to find an answer to a problem if you don't know what the problem is. And I don't know what it is. I know there's something missing, so I know I've got to find a way out of this deal. I know that because I don't want what I see here. And I don't know where I'm going to go to look for it. I looked up one day, saw my grandmother. Now, my grandmother lived when she was 90 years old. She never took a drink of alcohol or smoked a cigarette in her life. My grandmother wouldn't think it's a big deal. I've been sober 39 years. Big deal, she'd say. I ain't had a drink for 90. <laughs> and to her, it was something. I look at her and say, yeah, you could have had a couple, Granny, from time to time. I might have made you feel See, I don't understand people who don't drink. I really don't. Of course, they don't understand me either, so that we break even on that deal. I'll tell you that. But my grandmother, every Sunday morning of her life that I can remember from the time, would get up in this insane place that she lived in with this family of ours, and she'd step over these bodies and put on the best things she had and took off and went somewhere. While she was gone, for a couple hours when she got back, something miraculously happened to her. She was a little lighter in her step, a little easier in her being, and kind of danced around the bodies and cleaned them up and cooked for them and sang songs to Jesus. And I took a look at that and I filed that in my teen alcoholic mind. Now, if you're new here in Alcoholics Anonymous, this is probably the only place in the world you're ever going to hear about the teen alcoholic mind. <laughs> I'll guarantee you tomorrow at the Al-Anon meeting you won't hear about the keen alcoholic night. <laughs> they may get up and say something like the keen alcoholic got up last night and peed in the linen closet. <laughs> well, we'll we will. We'll mention it every time we get an opportunity. But see, my conflict in my life was that my grandmother and my grandfather watched two different things. My grandfather just take off whenever he had money. He had a lot of money. Once upon a time, he just took off and he had money. And he'd be gone until he didn't have any money. He'd come back. He'd come back in various shapes and forms. They brought him back on a wagon one time. He'd been shot and stabbed thrown off the second floor balcony of a whorehouse in Kansas City. Now, I looked at that. See, Grandma's got the best deal. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that. So I've made some kind of a pact. I said to myself, I think I'll go where my grandmother goes and be like my grandmother. There's only one thing wrong with that. I'm not like my grandmother. My grandmother's not alcoholic. You see, I didn't realize then, as I've come to understand Alcoholics Anonymous, that I'm bodily and mentally different from my grandmother. I didn't know that. So I did what all little kids are supposed to do. Not knowing any better, I put my hand in my grandmother's hand and said, my grandmother's church to my grandmother. And sit there and waited to whatever happened to Grandma happened to me. And it didn't. Now, I don't remember being dejected about that and figure that's some issue I was going to have to settle later on in life through therapy. I don't remember feeling the damn thing. What do you feel when you're six or seven years old? I mean, I don't understand. Some of these people I hear talk to the podium remember feelings when they were in the womb. <laughs> 
Yes, if we stick around here long enough for another 30 years, they'll be feeling feelings that your father had when he had a gleam in his eye or something. <laughs> you know what's going on around here? It's getting bizarre. Today. I don't remember feeling that. I don't remember feeling dejected. I don't remember feeling different. I don't remember feeling, oh. I don't remember feeling nothing. I just got up and left the church. And what I led to learn, it took me a long time to understand this in alcoholics A long, long time. I didn't understand there was nothing wrong with my grandmother's church whatsoever. But there was something wrong with the jackass sitting Me. See, what I was doing there, far back as I can remember, I'm five or six years old, maybe. What I'm doing there is the same thing I did the day I came to Alcoholics Anonymous 39 years ago. I'm looking for something out here to make me feel better in here. And that only proves to me the problem's always been there. Always been there. I didn't know it. A couple of weeks later, sitting on the back porch of my grandpa's house, watching my grandfather drink whiskey out of a fruit jar, he put it down, went somewhere, and I picked it up and took a drink of it. That's all I did. I just took a drink. And the next couple of minutes of my life is what makes me an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic because I spent the next 20 years of my life creating mayhem out there in the world. I'm an alcoholic because I have some type of an abnormal reaction to alcohol. But what I then there died learning here in Alcoholics Anonymous was that everybody who drinks alcohol does not get the same reaction from it that I do. They just don't. Alcohol was a fantastic thing in my life. It just went inside of me, kind of filled the screaming madness in there. Just that's all it did. Took me from the black pit of nothingness, stood me into the gray fringes of business of living, installed in me some type of arrogance that said, damn you world, it's all right. I'm not good enough to be around the good people, but I'm too good to be around the bad people. It's all right right here. But you see, that's not the thing that took me into the gates of insanity and death and beyond. What got me is the thing that kicked in right behind that, that our book Alcoholics Anonymous talks about that's limited to alcoholics of my type. You see, once I ingest alcohol into my system, once I put it in there, not before, but once I put it in there, then and only then am I drinking to overcome a craving that's beyond all human understanding and beyond all human health. I didn't understand that. So what happened to me when I drank alcohol for the next 20 years of my life happened to me every time I drank alcohol. Nothing ever changed. The results were always the same. I took a drink of alcohol, and three days later, they pulled me off from underneath the bridge and stood in front of a judge and sent me to the Hutchinson State Reform School. Twenty years later, I took a drink of alcohol. They pulled me out of a car in Compton and stood in front of a judge and sent me 20 years of penitentiary. So that's... Jesus Christ. Woman is in bad shape up there. You see, that's what happened to me when I drank. I got drunk and went places. I went from reform school to reform school to junior penitentiaries to penitentiaries to nut houses. Now they call them treatment centers. I like nut house better. It's a little more macho. If you're going to be bad, you ought to be bad for Christ's sake. I mean, don't quit drinking because you puke a little. Hang in there. <laughs> Give it everything you got. Alcoholics Anonymous work a hell of a lot better when you run out of options. I gave it everything I had. I threw everything into the battle and lost the battle and didn't even know what I was fighting. 
that's what's baffling about this thing to me. I didn't have the slightest idea what was kicking me. I never one time ever came out of one of them institutions in my entire life and said to myself, you know what? It's been a long time since I've had a serious little electrical shock treatment. I think I'll have a drink. There he is, Frank. That's Bob. <laughs> Frank has been looking for you, Bob. He's worried. <laughs> uh, boy, we're going to find that out pretty soon, I'll tell you that. <laughs> See, I drank after being sober for a period of time. For the reason of alcoholics in my country. I don't drink to get drunk. I don't drink to get locked up somewhere because I can't stand society. I drink because I just have to go. That's why I drink. That's why alcoholics in my country. Because I'm living in such a way where I have to find some type of relief, no matter what it may be. And I'm so uncomfortable and so spiritually sick in my life that I have to find some type of relief, and the only thing that ever registers in the back of my sick little mind is the relief I get when I take a drink of alcohol. Now, I don't know that it triggers this murderous obsession of mine. I haven't got a clue about that. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that 10 or 11 years old, sitting on the street corner on a furlough from reform school, I'm going to be tapped on the shoulder and given some pills, and I'm going to swallow those pills. A couple of years later, I'm sitting on the same street, turning on the fervor from another reform school, and I'm drinking this wine, and I'm using these pills, and the guy taps me on the shoulder and says, Neither am I. I don't know then that for the next 14 years of my life, I'm going to stick needles in my arm and run in and out of institutions. I have no way of knowing that. But that's what happened. And it happened for a very specific reason. You see, I'm a taker. I'm a taker of things, and I'm a user of people, so therefore I'm a loser. I'm selfish. I'm self-centered, and I'm self-serving. I get an ego bigger than it's holding on. My entire lifetime was spent before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, for a long time after I was here. And maybe even a great deal of time today, I really don't have any doubts on it, just without a conscious thought or a conscious concern for any other human being that lives upon the face of this earth. I wasn't interested in you at all, unless you had something I wanted. Then when I got it, I cast it aside like so much trash, and I went on about my business. That's the way I lived my life. Now, I didn't live my life like that one day or one week or one month or one year or till the heat got on. I lived my life like that from my earliest recollection of life, till a long time after I was an alcoholic. Now, what happened to me is very basic. When I came to in that cell in solitary confinement at the ripe old age of 27 years old, there wasn't a single solitary soul left upon the face of this earth that would send me a penny post time. They were all gone. But they should be gone, and I didn't have any right to have any of them back. I still don't have any right to have anything good and decent in my life just because I was lucky enough to stumble into your room and get sober and stay. Everything in my life, from the very basic ingredient of my life to the highlight of my life, my lovely wife, is a very simple thing. It's some type of an unwarranted gift from a God that I discovered sitting with you in this room. Because this is where everything that's ever happened to me, good and decent, has happened to me as I did with you. I don't know why that is, because I surely 
in all the years I've been an Alcoholics Anonymous and all the time I've looked back over my store of life before I came to you good people, can't see a single solitary thing in my life prior to getting here that would ever allow me to live the type of life that I've been handed here in Alcoholics Anonymous on a silver plan. It's the most amazing thing that I know of. But what happened to me, uh, I came into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that fateful day in November 1959, and I didn't come here to get sober. Matter of fact, I don't even know why I came, but I've discovered why. Over a period of years, I thought for a long, long time, I came to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because the institution I was in let women come in there. <laughs> I came to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is true, a long, long time ago to smell perfume. And I've been honking and sniffing around here ever since. <laughs> but because of my involvement in Alcoholics Anonymous and the willingness to do what I've been asked to do around here, not only taking my own inventory, but listening to many other ones, I discovered a very simple fact that I'd like to share with you. My last time out in the bushes, I killed me. Forty-some-odd years ago, I ended up in the old Los Angeles County Jail dead on arrival, 128 pounds in the color of that man's yellow sweater back then. I'd had two years doing to me exactly what I wanted to do to me any time I wanted to do to me, as much as I wanted to do, and there was no hold barred. And so I just went kidding to the Laying in that bed in the old hospital ward of the old Los Angeles County Jail, which in those days was absolutely and totally against the law to do with any type of medication, any type of treatment for anybody with any type of a narcotic record. I'm laying in that bed and the doctor's standing there every morning telling me I'm going to die. And somewhere during a period of time, one to die more than I wanted to live, probably, I screamed out the only prayer I'd ever said in my life. I said, oh, God, help me. And my grandmother, my dear, beautiful little grandmother, who never knew the luxuries of living in a sober household in her life that I knew of. Prayed for me every day of her life. I'm sure of that. But my grandmother loved me. She did everything in her power to try to help me. I know there's many people who prayed for me all my life. I'm sure my mother did from time to time. I'm sure that she was capable of it. I'm sure friends and baseball coaches and Athletic directors, a lot of people prayed for me all my life. But it wasn't until I prayed for me that I got any help at all. It's the most amazing thing that I know. If I can see it as clearly as I can see you, the pathway that day that I came out that prayer in my death said, Oh God, help me. I can see the pathway from there to here as clear as I can see that aisle down there. You see, I asked God for help and he's just like he just sitting around waiting. Okay. Jackass. I'm here. And I asked him. And he gave it to me. It's an amazing thing to me. I hear from time to time, I, you know, time to time people say, pray for me. I think that's a wonderful thing. But if I was to give you any type of advice at all, maybe you ought to pray for yourself. Maybe you ought to ask God for help. I do every day of my life. I ask him to help me. Help me just get through another day. That day in November 1959, that was the furthest thing from my mind. Because I moved into that room and I'd sit down in the back row and what I lovingly like to call my throne of contempt. I had my coat collar up and my shades on because I was cool. 
If I'd have been any cooler when I got here, I'd have probably froze to death, for God's sake. I don't know what I'm in. I haven't got a clue what I'm in. I'm looking up on the backboard. I'm seeing two big gays. I think I'm in some type of an anti-aircraft gate. I don't know what Alcoholics Anonymous is. I haven't got a clue. I said to this clown sitting next to me, just what is this, anyhow? He says, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. Real. Sarcastic. Well, I sunk down in my seat. I don't anybody see the big gangster hanging out with them winos. Then gangsters anonymous or over hip anonymous. Dope! Fiend anonymous. I mean, you can get into that dope thing, baby. Let me tell you, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I think about it. Makes addicts seem kind of candy ass, don't you? Remember what I told you, if you're going to be bad, be bad. Get it on. We'll be here. So we just wait, sit around, wait. When you're all through with you, here we are. I don't know what I'm doing that meeting. I'll, wait, wait. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I kept tricking myself. I said, well, I'll wait for these women to get up and tell their racist stories. <laughs> now, you got to remember that when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, there weren't very many young, pretty girls hanging around here. If they were, they weren't sitting up that penitentiary where I was at, I'll tell you that. <laughs> These old gals out to talk, one of them said she drank for a long time. She would look at it and know she'd been somewhere for a long time. <laughs> I mean, you had to be a rocket scientist to know that. She said, I used to drink. I thought, I bet you did. Bad stuff. I knew everything when I came to Alcoholics Now. I'm a walking encyclopedia of useless information. I know so damn much about what ain't true, I don't know what is true. And there I am, for all intents and purposes, a dead man, sitting in a room staring at an answer that I have sold my soul for, but I didn't recognize the answer because I didn't know what the problem was. The only thing, I'm attracted to these people. I don't know why then. I've come to understand now. I'm attracted to these people because these people are alcoholics. I didn't know that then. I've come to understand that alcoholics are attracted to alcoholics. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous works. I mean, I don't want to drop anything heavy on you here in Cincinnati. I mean, uh, some people seem to forget that. We tried to raise the bottom so high in Alcoholics Anonymous, trying to sober up people who don't even drink, for Christ's sake. God damn, I love you, Liz. I'm going to take you wherever I go. If I ever come to Ohio, I'm paying for your room. The reason I don't understand these people probably more than any other reason is, you see, these people are givers. They're driving up these institutions 185 miles up those old back roads on Sunday morning. They're giving up the time. They're buying their own gas, buying their own food. They're doing all these things on their own hook. They're giving up their family all day long to come up and spend two hours with a room full of people who didn't want to listen to them. People like me who sit in the back row and made fun of them. I'll tell you how sick that is. Here I am sitting in the penitentiary. I don't know when I'm going home, and I'm making fun of people who are leaving in an hour. <laughs> but I'm hip. If I'd had a hat, I'd had it on backwards. <laughs> the restaurant was set, so I couldn't be in style. 
I don't know what's going on. I asked the guy one time, when you get out of coming up here, anyhow? He said, when you can answer that question, you won't have to ask it. I pondered that for a long time. I'm dreaming back to my hours on the therapist's house. My many hours with the psychiatrist and the sociologist trying to figure out the deep meaning of that statement. What he said is the reason Alcoholics Anonymous is so hard for some of us to grasp. Just too damn simple. You see, when I can understand why people would give her their time, just for the hell of giving it, that I don't have to ask questions. Because I've done the thing that's guaranteed to keep me here. I'm going to tell you about a fact that I've discovered sitting in meetings with Alcoholics Anonymous for an average between five or six times a week for all these years. I've discovered a very true truism here. This is not an opinion, this is a truism. You get all the opinions you want at the discussion meeting. <laughs> Valid or not, you get them. My old sponsor, Norm Alphys, before he died, used to talk a great deal about crossing over some invisible line from controlled to uncontrolled drinking. I don't have any qualms with that whatsoever. I believe I was born on the other side of it, but that ain't got nothing to do with it. There's an invisible line in alcoholics' nonsense, too. And if you're an alcoholic of my type and you don't cross over that invisible line, you're going to die drunk. Or, like one of the kids in our group did last week, real brain guy. And that's a line where you got to cross over from being a taker to being a giver. And you got to give a little just for the hell of giving it. Not to expect nothing in return. That's the line here. And if you're an alcoholic of my type and you don't cross over that line, you're going to die drunk or blow your brains out. You ain't got any more choice about that. You do about flying around this room because I don't. And the reason I know that to be true is what this book says. This book is the authority here. This book says that selfishness and self-centeredness seems to be the root of all of my problems. And I should be rid of it or it will kill me. And my great discovery in Alcoholics Anonymous is this. That when I'm given to you, I'm not thinking about me. And the selfishness and the self-centeredness seems to run out of my sleeve when I stick my arm out and try to help somebody else. I didn't know that that day sitting in there. I didn't know that for a long time in Alcoholics Anonymous because what you proved to me newly in Alcoholics Anonymous was simply this, that I was not alcoholic. You proved to me that more than anything else as I sit in your early meetings because you would get up at podiums like this and say things. I used to drink. Now I don't drink anymore, and everything is just wonderful. <laughs> Back there where I'm sitting, as sober as you are, I'm saying to myself, I can't be alcoholic then. I'm as physically sober as you are, Buster, and I'm crazy. I wish I was alcoholic, I could say. If I could just be alcoholic, then all I'd have to do is not drink, and then I'd be okay. But there's something far more wrong with me than that. I didn't know what it was. I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have the, anything. I didn't know. And one day I got up in this institution many years ago. I know today, as I look back on it now, because hindsight's always a thousand percent, that it's the day I've lived my entire lifetime for. I had no way of knowing that when I woke up that morning. I had no way of knowing as I went through my routine of the day, drinking my coffee, having my breakfast, or doing whatever I was doing. 
that I was going to go sit in a room and somebody was going to open up the gates of hell to let me out of there. I didn't know that because I didn't know I was in hell. And if I'd have known that, you would have had a different speaker here tonight. Because I would have not have went to an alcoholic anonymous meeting. You see, I wasn't conditioned to go to alcoholics, friends. I was conditioned to go to people who knew nothing about my illness whatsoever. Who were only prejudging my actions. I was going to the therapists and the psychiatrists and the sociologists and the penologists and the lawyers and the judges and the wardens and the baseball coaches. Even the domino players on the yard. <laughs> but see, I'm not armed with that fact when I wake up, thank God. So I go sit in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, a little guy that I knew that did 23 flat years in the penitentiary. Stood at a podium of Alcoholics Anonymous, told me something I've never forgotten. Makes more sense to me tonight than anything that I know. It'll make more sense to me more than anything I'll ever dare learn. He looked down where I was sitting and he said very simply, you don't have to live like this no more if you don't want to. So you don't have to do it like this no more. Nobody had ever told me that. They'd been telling me since I was that high in every institution I ever went to, around all the great learned men who sit there and try to extend their hand to me, Johnny, if you didn't drink these things and swallow these things and smoke these things and shoot these things, you wouldn't have any problem. Every single one of them told me that. From the time I'm eight years old till I'm 28. In institutions all across this country, hospitals, nut houses, everywhere. What none of them ever took into a basic consideration of this record. Every time they told me that, I was as physically sober as I am right now. Every time. How many times I wanted to scream out of them, God, doctor, don't you understand? Because they don't. I'm sorry. If you're not an alcoholic, you'll never understand why I drink. I'm sorry. You just won't. That's the reason alcoholics, get sober and alcoholics anonymous, stay sober here, because alcoholics talk to them with the language of the heart. That magic phrase that you hear in alcoholics anonymous that you never hear anywhere else in the world, when somebody somewhere along the line finally says to you, I understand how you feel, and you know they do. That's the most miraculous thing that's ever happened to you. I said to this little guy after the meeting that day, how do you learn how to live? That's all I want to know. I wasn't interested in anything. Else. He told me about this book called Alcoholics Anonymous. He said if I'd go get it, he'd go pray that I'd find some part of me in it. I guess he's prayed real hard, that little fellow. Because I've been a student of the book Alcoholics Anonymous from that day to this day. It's the only literature I read. And all I've ever found in that book is me. I'm not looking for anything else. I'm not looking for a way to sober up the world or cure all of society's ills or be the richest guy on the block. I'm looking for something very foreign to people like me. I'm looking for a way to live peacefully and comfortably and joyously with me and you and God. Now I'm going to tell you about a strange thing that happened in my life. The closer I hear to the principles that are written in this book here, this book, and the more willing I become to share that knowledge in this fellowship, the more peaceful and the more comfortable and the more joyous I live with me in the love of God in me. The most miraculous thing in life. And why it's so hard 
for me, was armed with that knowledge to maintain that type of an attitude is the honor. My sponsor called this humanism. See, you're just a human, John. That's all you are, a human being. I want to be perfect. I want to be in bliss all the time. He told me, go see the therapist. He'll prescribe something for you. That way you won't ever worry about a thing. You know, the greatest thing that has ever happened to me in my life is not getting sober. I'm sorry. I almost sound like heresy in an AME. But it's not. I was sober when I got here. I was as physically sober that day in November as I am right now when I came here. I don't know when it was I had my last name. I really don't. My children being born and my grandchildren being born and the good life I live today, alcoholics or not, is not the greatest thing that has ever happened to me in my life. I know that's not like heresy to a lot of people, but it's true. The greatest thing event that ever happened to me in my life happened to me sitting in a room with a man doing what this program of recovery says is the fifth step. I heard myself say to that man that I was an alcoholic. And from way down deep inside of me there came a freedom that I say was maybe this very instant. As I stand here before you tonight, it's something I've known for almost 39 years of my life. I know exactly what's wrong with me. Exactly. I'm an alcoholic and I suffer from a disease called alcoholism. I am not an alcoholic and anything. When I was an alcoholic and something or other, I couldn't have your program. You see, I separated me from you. I'm a little better than you. I'm a little worse than you. I'm a little slicker than you. I'm a little hipper than you. I'm not like you. You see, when I became just like you, alcoholic, when I admitted to my innermost self that I had this thing, it became absolutely and totally necessary for me to practice the only program of recovery for alcoholics of my type in 7,000 years of recorded history. This is the only thing that's ever worked for people like me. That kind of takes all the choice in the matter out of it for me. I just do these things. And I was given Many examples in Alcoholics not about the things that you're supposed to do in Alcoholics not Unbeknownst to me, people, just like they will in every meeting, every meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, all over the world, there are people sitting in these rooms, doing things in these rooms, that will show you exactly what to do here if you want to stay sober. Because they're staying sober. And they're happy, and they're joyous, and they're doing something about it. And then on the other side of the room, there's these jackasses who hang around saying, Oh, you have to do much, baby. Just put the plug in the jug, and you're butting the chair here, and the good world will happen to you tomorrow. <laughs> you don't have to have no sponsor. You don't have to work no stuff. I've been sober five years, and I ain't ever worked no stuff. Yeah. You don't get any more than that out of five years. I, you wouldn't. That's what you want. Be my guest. <laughs> There's a little guy in Texas that's uh, 80-some years old now, 40-some years sober. You know, here they did talk about Eskimos and alcoholics now. I'm going to tell you about a real Eskimo. After I had gotten into the program of recovery called Alcoholics Anonymous and realized I had this madness, and then I had to do these things where I was going to be. I started making little efforts to get out of myself. And one of them was to go stand at the gate every 
night, every Thursday night, when this man who lived in this little town outside of the penitentiary would come in. His name was Bill. So we nicknamed him Tehachapi Bill. So we made him an honorary convict. Made just made his whole day for Christ's sake. <laughs> but he came there every Thursday night. Every Thursday night. It was the only meeting in town. And one night, one day I got up and it was a big snowstorm came. It was way up in the mountains. The big blizzard on the thing and I'm out there standing by the gate and, uh, the guard said to me, what are you doing out here? And I said, I'm waiting for Bill. He says, he ain't coming. I said, oh yes he is. He said, no he's not. I said, yes he is. He looked at me and said, Johnny, for Christ's sake, there's a snowstorm, the roads are closed. He lives ten miles in town, he can't get here. I said, he's gonna come. He says, why? I said, because he said he would. He said, I'll see you next Thursday, Johnny. I said, I'll be waiting for you there. So I'm standing there, and it's getting later. And the cop is looking at me and starting to smile. And the more he smiles, the madder I get. And I'm thinking about blowing my whole parole date, smacking him once. Because, you know, he's just not going to be wrong about this deal. So I'm standing there thinking about it, and finally I look at time to, for the meeting getting ready to be starting over there, and so I start to turn and walk out the guardhouse. And just as I get outside the door, I hear a thing like, ping. And I look around, I think I'm having a flashback or something. Ding, ding. And I walk back in the shack, and I said to the guard, I said, did you hear anything? He just looked at me, shook his head. So I went back out and hear another, ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. And I sit there and I'm staring down the road from what this noise is coming. And lo and behold, in about five minutes, up come Bill driving a horse with a sled. <laughs> Tied the horse up, told the cop to watch it, and we went to the meeting. <laughs> that was my first human illustration of a commitment. Thank God he didn't have anything more important to do that day. Thank God he had a commitment to go somewhere and do something. Thank God this man believed that he was going to do what he said he was going to do when he said he was going to do it. Thank God for that. You're not one of these jackasses who have commitments if nothing better comes along. Oh, I'll be there. Let's keep on. That's what I was taught here. I came out of the penitentiary on the 4th day of June, 1961, to a world I didn't know anything about. Still don't know a lot about it and really don't care. Didn't belong in it then, don't belong to it now. But it's all right. The people out there don't know that. I know, but they don't. I went on to see my mother. She fell off the step blind drunk. I picked up and put her on the couch. She said, Mom, I'm going to an AA meeting. She said, fine, I think you should. I'd like to tell you that my mother got sober and stayed sober and alcoholic anonymous. We were an A and A family. Just wonderful. Not my case, not my thing. I said an alcoholic anonymous completely surrounded by the magnificence of this program while my mother drank herself to death. Took her 30 years just to get it. One guy said to me one day, how long was your mother sober? And I told him, my mother never got sober. He said, well, you mean she came to me? I said, she never got sober. She got in a state of undrunkenness from time to time. And she came to me. But that's a far, far cry 
from being sober. Being undrunk is just physically absent from any type of alcohol or chemicals in my system. Sobriety is an entirely different thing. And so, without the great gift of sobriety or the willingness to believe that you had this illness, my mother slowly over a period of time drank herself to death. I was the last thing in this world my mother ever saw. I sat by her bedside that Saturday morning and watched her die. And we'd been through hell for the last two months. Diabetes is a terrible thing, coupled with alcoholism, and it did my mother. A moment before my mother died, if you'd have said to her, aren't you proud of your son? Man, man, he came out in gangs, out in streets, out in penitentiaries, out in ghettos. He joined that Alcoholics Anonymous thing, found out he's an alcoholic man, now he lives a normal, decent life. Aren't you proud of your son? You know what my mother said to you? My mother would have said to you, my son's not an alcoholic. My son's life got a lot better when he quit running around with a Mexican. <laughs> Now, if you were to sit in some of your real discussion meetings, you'd probably hear one of these psychobabble jackasses say things like, I guess your mama was in a state of denial. A denial is a river in Egypt. And if you have somebody tell you you're in a state of denial, what he's really telling you is you're a liar. That's what a denial is. If you're saying you're in a state of denial, you're just a damn liar. If you're alcoholic. Every time I got arrested, I denied that I did it. <laughs> See this book? Same one we got in California. It's a little smaller in California because we read better. <laughs> It says that we suffer from a delusion, which is an entirely different thing than a lie. A delusion is not a lie. The delusion that I'm like other people or a brethren maybe have to be smacked. That's a delusion. That's not a lie. I actually believe that. Dr. Silkworth says we don't know the truth from the past. And we think our alcoholic life is the only known one. That's a delusion. That's not a denial. A denial is just a flat lie. That's all. Oh, I don't have that. <laughs> I didn't do that. I love my mother. And I'd have given anything in the world if my mother could have got sober and alcoholic now. Anything. But what I learned from my mother is the greatest lesson that I ever learned here. I learned I don't have the power to get anybody sober. Nor do I have the power to get anybody drunk. I don't even have any power to keep me sober. Where would I get any power? I don't have any more power today than I did 39 years ago when I came to you. Where would I get the power? Books don't say anything about me being accumulated with power. I know that some of these people who rise to the heights become so spiritual there's no earthly use to anybody for Christ's sake. They discovered so much about everything they don't know nothing. You know what I mean? Look here. I believe with this book. The book says I got a daily retreat. That means I got today. This is it. I got no yesterday. I got no tomorrow. This is my day. It's the only day I got. 
And my sobriety continued from what I do today, not what I did five years ago, or ten years ago, or twenty years ago, or thirty years ago. It's what I do today. This is the day I live. I'd like to be able to tell you, I could live a day and a half now, 30-some years sober. My sponsor, when I came out of the penitentiary, who appointed himself my sponsor, I didn't want him. I mean, when you run your own life, you don't need nobody helping you. I mean, when you know it all, forget it. You shouldn't do anything you want. You know it all. And that's where I was. I came out of penitentiary. I'd been an alcoholic anonymous for 19 months. I'd read this book. In some of these places, that would make you a guru, baby. Oh, 19 months. He said to me, hot shot? I said, yeah. No, I like hot. Better that way. He said, how long have you been sober? I said, 19 months. He said, oh, no, you yeah. This is the first day you spoke. The day you walked out of that institution is your first day of sobriety. I looked at him and said, Why is that? He said, Because in there ain't out here. This is where you stay sober, not in there. I didn't realize what a tremendous shift he gave me until I've been able to sit around in meetings with alcoholics and all with my eyes open and watch people who haven't been given the same gift. The gift my sponsor gave me, I'll be forever grateful for it. He gave me the gift of being a newcomer in alcoholism. He gave me those gifts. He gave me the gift of learning to sit still in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and pay attention so the people next to me aren't disturbed. He made me realize that no matter how many of these steps I had worked, that I was still selfish and self-centered and self-serving. And I could shut up and let somebody else do the benefits of this program. My sponsor taught me a very, very beautiful thing by telling me to shut up, sit still, and listen. I didn't realize. I thought he was just cruel. I thought he was just browbeating. But what my sponsor is doing for me then, and I hope you have a sponsor that loves you that much, my sponsor was introducing me to a God of my very own. I didn't understand that. I understand today more than anything that I know. So I sat right there in that seat and got what I come to Alcoholics Anonymous for. I'll sit out there the rest of this weekend and get what I come to Alcoholics Anonymous for. Because I'm sitting right there in that chair and I'm listening to him read this magnificent step program of recovery. The magnificent traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous that keep us together here. And what I'm listening to Liz and listening to these people read these things, I ain't thinking about me. I'm listening to what's being read. It's music to my soul. But while I'm doing that, I ain't thinking about me. I'm about as close to my God as I'm ever going to be. Ain't ever going to be no closer to God than that. No matter what I do, no matter how many times I get down and kiss the carpet, no matter how many prayers I say, no matter how spiritual I think I've become, I ain't never going to be any more closer to God than when I can sit in a meeting of alcoholics and and pay attention to whatever goes around there and be more concerned with what's going on than I am with myself. 
in my later years of sobriety, I run around with an old man by the name of Chuck Chamberlain. He was more father to me than anybody I've ever known. I love that old man. He told me one time that nature absorbs the vacuum. But he said, God absorbs the vacuum even more under heaven and earth. He said to me, if I could empty myself of self, I would be automatically full of God. And isn't that amazing? Isn't that absolutely amazing? I looked everywhere in the world before I got hit. I drank, I smoked weed, I ate pills, I got heroin, I hurt people, I got hurt. I've been shot and stabbed and electrocuted. I've been high pressure fire hose, I swum two in straight jackets. And it wasn't until I sat still and started paying attention to you and became more concerned about your well-being than it was my own that I ever discovered this God of my very own. I live a very happy life, today. I'm a very happy, contented man. I live most of my life in absolute and total peace with me, my God, and the people about me. And I tell you what, I found what I'm looking for. I was found what I was born looking for. I found a way to live peacefully and comfortably and joyously with my own self on a day-to-day basis, one day at a time. I've got a purpose and direction to live in. I have a place where I can go and stick out my hand and be welcome and welcome people. I can pass on my experience, strength, and hope and try to help somebody else do something that I'm totally incapable of doing myself. I'm actually able to help people find what I found here. Not by what I say, not by what I got, but they watch what I do. And it's the most miraculous thing I know. I'll tell you a little story. There's a group of kids came to our meeting not very long ago from another program. They come in with all kinds of purple hair and wearing their hats on backwards and they had earrings and nose rings and eye rings and tail rings and rings you don't want to talk about. <laughs> and I watched a couple of these guys and you know a couple of our better members who kind of got better than most of the rest of us kind of shied away from them because they look a little strange. By God, they do look strange. I'll tell you that. So one day I'm talking at this meeting and I shouldn't cook off for the institutional committee and then. After I got through, this kid tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, Johnny, and I said, what? He said, I heard you talk. I want you to be my sponsor. I looked at him. I looked him up and down. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something, kid, and I'll call it synonymous. We do a little bit different than you do over there. I said, we don't just go to dances and look for girls. In this program, we try to work a program of recovery and try to help other people. He looked at me like I slapped him. He said, okay, let's do it. This kid has been nine years without any type of medication or alcohol in the system. And he didn't look any better nine years later than he did. He got there. Probably had a few more tattoos, but what the hell. So him and I got into this program of recovery. The first nine steps of the program of recovery. He started into his men. One day I'm at a meeting. I just tapped on the shoulder, turned around to his friend standing there. And he said, hey. I said, what do you want? He said, what did you do to my friend? 
And I said, why? I just put him in this program. Why? He said, I ain't never seen him so happy. Why don't you do it to me? <laughs> There's seven of them. And they can't understand it when the old man jumps up on the table and starts killing big sticks at the domino table at our party. Where'd you learn that? So don't ever, ever get over the idea that somewhere somebody's watching you. My sponsor told me how I was supposed to act in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. He wouldn't let me wear the uniform of the hipster. I tried to go to a meeting one night in tank tops and shorts. He left me standing on the street corner. Told me I couldn't go there. Told me I had to at least look better than a newcomer. Challenges they throw at you, these sponsors. It's amazing to me. One of the reasons that uh, I always wear a coat and a tie when I speak at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because it become my idea that I should dress up to your level. I should have to come up to your level. I shouldn't come home from the office tonight and have to figure some shit. I should have to come down on your level. I should have to raise myself up because you people, most of you, a far better person than I'll ever be in my life. There's not much separating me from me and me from that old thing. I tell it, my friend Bob last night, the tiger may be in the cage, but the door's unlocked. And every once in a while, I stick my head out there to see how the air is going. Scary. But I can tell you this. I have everything in the world that a man could possibly ever live for. I discovered the love of my life. I've made her my wife. Now when I come into her home state, I'm known as Karen's husband. I used to be something before we got married. And we live a good life, but I, uh, I got that because I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and because at that particular moment in my life, I was completely and totally current with everything in life. And if you're new or old or used or in between tonight, if I could utter one thing to you, I hope you don't have any unfinished business out there. I hope you don't ever have to pass away with any unfinished business. I was talking to one of our members today about that. When my mother died, there was nothing between my mother and I. We were current. I loved her. She loved me. And there was no if only in that. Everything in my life today is current. I don't know how better to tell you. And I'm a peaceful, happy, joyous man who's in love with life and its program. And when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard things I didn't quite understand. I hear them today. I still don't understand. I heard people say, I had to learn to love me before I could love you. I had to learn to forgive me before I could forgive you. You know, there's times I don't even like me. How in the world could I ever love me in times I don't like you? But I tell you, I've never not loved you. I've loved you from the first moment I said it means that you didn't even know it to this very moment. In my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, and in my reason to be. Every living thing I have in my life, I order this program called Alcoholics Night. And my lovely wife with my sanity. 
everything I will ever hope to have in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I owe to you. And please believe this, dear friend. It is a long, long walk from a cell in solitary confinement at a maximum security penitentiary to where I stand right now. But for the grace of God, AA and good folks like you, I could have missed it all. Thank you. God bless you.